Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. We're back at the Vet Tech Cafe with another awesome episode today. Dave, how's it going out there? Oh, it's great out here. It is getting super hot, though. Um, you know how much I love the heat. But mm-hmm. It's getting to be that stupid hot where it's like, it's just kind of dumb to be out here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even want to go outside hot. <laughs> how are you guys doing out there? Yeah, uh, same, actually. It's been really hot here this week. Molly and I have taken Daphne over to her folks' house to go to the pool a couple times, so she's splashed around in the water a little bit so that's good um she's growing like crazy um i'm still out on leave so that's pretty much all that's taking up my time but uh, but yeah things are going pretty well you're off till what the end of august towards the end of august i think i go back the yeah. week of august 22nd yeah go back yeah <laughs> go go back go, go back. back go back to your chair yeah go back to my <laughs> go back to my second bedroom yeah <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, so pretty awesome episode today. Uh, a little bit different than what we normally do. Mm-hmm. We actually let a veterinarian into the cafe today. I know a, a rare sighting of a veterinarian on on the vet tech cafe. Yes, they are always welcome. They are always welcome to come, of course, and, and hang out. It's just uh, you know, with what we try to talk about, what we try to focus this podcast on, we generally try to talk to our colleagues, you know, our veterinary technician colleagues mm-hmm. about some of these issues, but there are certainly times where we have to involve veterinarians in the conversation. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, we're, we're a team, right? We're not, right. we're not on an, well, we shouldn't be on an Island, but right. we, we try to incorporate them into, into everything. And hopefully they try to incorporate us into everything. Exactly. As well. I was just going to say the same thing is, is that, you know, ultimately that should be a two way street that we should be involved in some of those conversations or some of those decisions that they make for us. And for our profession, we should have a, you know, a spot in that spot at that table as well. So, uh, but really interesting perspective. I mean, we've talked a lot about what we talked today about with, with a lot of different people. So it's interesting to get a little bit different perspective on things. And and I think, I think caffeinators are really going to like hearing what transpires today. Yeah. And and it was a great conversation. Obviously we're recording this after the fact, but it was a a great conversation. He's, he's such a engaging person to talk to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's another one of those things, almost like with Liz Houston, where we can just have like three questions and they just go for the whole hour. Right. Um, and, and, and he did not, he did not fail to deliver on that. So not at all. Um, thank you to him for that. Yeah, for sure. And, And honestly, I mean, this, 
this discussion, you know, you and I tried to be respectful of his time frame, and and he he mentioned many times <laughs> he's he he can he can keep going, and and uh, yeah, this conversation could have easily gone on for hours, and oh yes, uh, yes. Who, who knows, you know, maybe it'll be good to to touch base with him if certain things arise or or, or as things arise down the road, uh, we can revisit the conversation because it was it, there was a lot of things that were covered that I, I kind of had an idea of maybe what he was going to say, but there was also a lot of things that that came up that I really didn't expect uh, or a perspective yeah. that I didn't see coming. So um, a really, really good discussion. And I, I learned a lot about how to, how to navigate social media and, you know, even just kind of refocusing what we do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we focus on the numbers so much for the download numbers and all that stuff. And we get frustrated when they're not what we expect them to be and kind of pulled us away from that. And so yeah. don't worry about that stuff. That's, yeah. Yeah. Look at what you want to do and do what you want to do. And the people that want to see what you want to do are, are going to be there every yeah. week. And yeah. uh, that, that was a, a valuable piece of information for me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know you and I are huge. We say it all the time. You and I are huge stack geeks and, and not that we're <laughs> driven to do this by by the response or anything like that. But we always it's something we always keep yeah. an eye on. And, and but as he said, you know, the the people that are are there for you that are going to support you um they're going to be there every week or every other week as it were for us and uh <laughs> caffeinators i know if you're listening that's you and we genuinely genuinely appreciate right. the, uh, the support so 100 percent. well what do you think should we just go ahead and uh and let it roll it's kind of a long episode anyway so maybe uh it is pretty lengthy so let's get to it <laughs> yeah let's get to it all right caffeinators we hope you enjoy this one uh we're recording another episode in a couple days so we've got some really great episodes coming but uh now we're going to uh, go ahead and get started all right. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to uh, another episode of the Bet Tech Cafe. Uh, Dave, we have an awesome guest today. So let's just get uh, let's just get started, huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we have uh, Dr. Rourke, Dr. Andy Rourke coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Um, if you're not familiar with him uh, or any of his content, first of all, what rock are you living under? But he's a practicing <laughs> veterinarian in Greenville, South Carolina, and the founder of the Uncharted Veterinary Conference. Uh, he's received the NAVC Practice Management Speaker of the Year Award three times, the Western Veterinary Conference Practice Management Educator of the Year Award, the Outstanding Young Alumni Award from the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine, and the Veterinarian of the Year Award from the South Carolina Association of Veterinarians. So pretty awesome resume there. Dr. Rourke, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us today. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Oh, it's a uh, decaf. I'm only allowed to have decaf after <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. Fair I, enough. Yeah, there are strict regulations on my caffeine intake. Uh, <laughs> I... I, yeah, I have to take it down a couple of notches uh, after my morning coffee. My my technicians are often, you know, in the audience at some of the big events, and I always I point them out. I'll be like, "I this is what I do," and you you can ask that person right there if you don't believe me because she works with me. And so people will say, "What's it like to work with Doctor Rourke?" And they always say, "It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. He's just he needs to call. He needs to just." Take it down three notches. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's decaf or, or All right. water. All right. We got it. Decaf it is. So if you don't mind, um, <laughs> kind of take us through your career path a little bit. What got you into vet med? Um, you know, some of the stops along the way, did, was it always about being a veterinarian and then kind of all the stuff you're doing now? Yeah. Uh, the answer is no, none, not, nope. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. Yeah, no, I, nope, yeah, no. I, uh, 
I I have I am a wanderer uh, and always and I have been. So I I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. My dad was a general surgeon, and so I thought for a long time I wanted to do do medicine, human medicine. I want to be a physician, and and I went that way for a long time. And then I just saw human medicine kind of turned to crap in a lot of ways and talk about a broken system in the United States. It's just, you know, I, and, and it's not fun to practice medicine. Uh, I don't think for doctors and you see them leaving the field. And my dad, I remember worked harder and harder and just seemed like there was more red tape and bureaucracy and, and not getting to do sort of the meaningful work that he got into it to do. And I, I was a junior in college getting ready to take the MCAT. And he said, you know, son, I'm not sure I would start over in medicine right mm-hmm. now if it was me and i was like mm-hmm. oh so uh, wow so that yeah that sort of sent you for a tailspin and so then i i just kind of wandered around for a while I, I was dating this girl and she uh she she wanted to go to medical school she still wanted to go to medical school and so she applied for this program at the national institute of health in bethesda maryland and uh they had like a, a it's called a one-year post-baccalaureate fellowship right so so you would apply and then you would go to one of their 170-some labs that they have. and But there's only one application. So you just sent one application. All the labs would look at you. Well, I had no idea what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. And so I'm like, this is great. I'll send a generic application. <laughs> and someone else will look and be like, that guy's perfect. He's what we need. And then I'll know because they'll tell me that I'm perfect for it. And then I'll do that. <laughs> and so anyway, I applied. And I went to D.C. and I worked at this lab and that's when I learned about government budgets. And if you have money and you don't spend it, you lose it. And so they did not have much for me to do. And so I just left at like lunchtime and and went to the <laughs> National Zoo and volunteered. And so after a year, I had a post-baccalaureate fellowship at the National Institute of Health and recommendations from the National Zoo. And uh, and I was applying to graduate school because I love to teach. And so I'm like, I'm going to go get a PhD. And I kind of got onto that from the research and from the zoo. And so I went and got a, uh, to get a PhD in zoology. And I applied and they were like, this is an amazing resume. And I'm like, thanks. Um, <laughs> so, like, okay. And so anyway, so I went there and uh, washed out of that program. Uh, I met my wife. So it was totally worth the trip. Uh, but but I decided academia was not for me, and so uh, after a while, I just I just couldn't take. I can't handle bureaucracy. I'm not a bureaucracy guy. People are like, "Why don't you do more with the AVMA?" And I'm like, "I can't. I just can't handle it. Yeah. Uh, I just I have to I have to put my hands on things and fix them. I have to jump in and, and, and actually you know make a difference that I see. And I'm not. I'm, please don't. I'm not slamming anybody. It's just oh, I sure. just can't do those long term uh, slow grind things. I just I have to I have to feel like i'm doing something that's that's important to me and that i can see the, the results and so anyway i i did that for a while and and uh, i married this uh beautiful graduate student who happened to be assigned to the same office as me and uh, she was not done and she was not leaving and i was like well i'm not gonna leave her so what else can i do and so i applied to vet school because i was like this looks good and they were like this you've been planning this the whole time haven't you and i said yeah <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah and so anyway that's how i got to vet school and that's pretty much the model of how my career has gone the whole way all right. All right. Yeah. I'm not, I, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those people who's like, you know, I knew what I wanted to do when I did it. I don't think that's most of us. I, I think most of us, honestly, at a place in our career, people look at us and then they look at the path we took and we're like, mm, they knew where they were going. And I think that's largely false. I think most of us are just making our way, you know, figuring out what we like to do and figuring out how to do more of it and figuring out what we don't like to do and trying to figure out how to do less of it. And like, that is the best career advice that I have for any body it's just 
figure out what you want to do and try to do more of it. And people go, but shouldn't you have a plan? I was like, you should make plans. <laughs> but having a plan is pretty useless. Plans don't tend to work, but making plans is really important. So you should always be making plans, knowing that they will change and fall <laughs> apart for reasons outside of your control. And you should, you should know what you're doing now and you should know what you want to do next. And that's, and you should have a spot on the horizon that is your sort of moral compass when you say, I want to help people. I want to help pets. I want to do work that matters. I want to help families. I want to, at the end of my career, at the end of my life, feel like I made a difference in this world. You should have that kind of North Star. And then you should just put one foot in front of the other, picking the best little stepping stones along the way that you can. And who knows where you're going to end up. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a common theme, Jeff. We've done, what, 90, 90 episodes now. And I, I want to say, Dr. Rourke, you're, you're the first veterinarian we've had on the show. Oh, no, we had ah, we, was... had, we had the vet folio, mm -hmm. but that wasn't yeah. really our episode right. anyways. Okay. Um, but for the most part, all of our technicians that we interview, I would say at least 75% of them were like, I didn't even know what a vet tech was until sure. somebody yeah. somebody introduced me to it. And yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear that it's the same way on – the veterinarian side of things that that you didn't know that's what you wanted to do and yeah there's got to be some faction of people that are like yeah this is what i want to do but sure sure for the most part it's it's not it's not no i, I think there are some people who are like yes this is what i want to do man mm -hmm. i i went to uh i went to the middle school award ceremony this morning so school is getting <laughs> out and my daughter is in the last year of middle school which is amazing to me as i'm about to have a high school kid and the principal spoke at the end after he'd given out all the awards, and he gave them like three pieces of advice. One of them was, listen to your parents. Number two was, get off your phone. And then like, <laughs> there was a raucous applause. Like the bleachers were going absolutely nuts. And, uh, and the, th the third one was, have a plan. Know what you're doing when you go to high school. And I was like, what? Know what you're doing when you go to high school? I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing in college. But yeah, like, yeah, these kids are 14 years old. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't do anything. Don't, don't yeah, make them have plans don't, yet. Yeah, yeah. Don't, sho don't shoehorn them into something so early that they miss something that they might really like or that they're changing careers at 25 or 30. I, you know, so my wife teaches at college. She's a college professor. And I'll tell you the thing that I think this is uh, my, through my wife and my experience, there's a lot of people who royally screw themselves. By deciding in high school, I'm going to go to vet school. I'm going to go to medical school. And I tell you guys what, the fear of uncertainty is so strong for so many people that they mm -hmm. would rather put blinders on and not admit that they're miserable or that they're not good at this or they just flat out don't enjoy it. They won't admit that because the idea of not knowing where they're going is too scary. And so they put their head down. And I see people who do that. I think that is so – I'm sure it happens in vet school. I know it happens in vet school. I, I think a lot of people who go to medical school and a lot of people who go to law school, mm -hmm. they decided or their parents decided for them that that's what they were going to do. And they didn't question, is this making me happy? Right. Am I enjoying this? You know, am I this, – is this how I want to spend my life, knowing that I only get to go through one time? Uh, and, yeah. and I, I think that they, they end up 35, 45 years old and they're like, what the heck am I doing here? And so I, I've seen that many times. And so, yeah, I am, I am, I am very much about, you have a plan, you have a general idea where you're going, you should be working towards something, but that something can continuously change and it probably yeah. should.
Yeah, for sure. Make a plan, but put it in pencil. Yeah, <laughs> always in pencil. Always in pencil. Dr. Rook, what we always ask most of our guests here is, is where do you see the veterinary technician profession right now? And I know you're you're very pro-veterinary technician, which sure. is one of the reasons why we have you on our show. Um, so where do you see it from your standpoint as a, as a veterinarian? I am super pro-positive vet tech right now and in the future, uh, mostly in the future. I think the vet techs right now are, and again, this is, I am a perpetual optimist, just to know that about me. But I think, in all honesty, the vet techs right now are in a place where they're about to break into the next iteration of veterinary technology. I think that we are about to see a significant shift, and it's going to be messy and awkward and painful and emotional for a lot of people, but the future is coming. And in the future, we are going to handle the shortage of veterinarians by leveraging our technicians better and paying our technicians better and allowing our technicians to do more than they're doing. The future of vet medicine, in my eyes, is better delegation by doctors to technicians so that technicians are doing more medical clinical work and they're earning salaries that make them want to go to tech school. And I don't mm -hmm. think there's any other way this goes down. I think it can look a lot of different ways. But I think when I look at the industry and the driving forces there, and I'm happy to lay that stuff down. But as I, as I look at it, we've got some problems in vet medicine. And the biggest one that everybody's talking about is it's really hard to hire uh, veterinarians. And uh, so, so we'll just start with that. It's really hard to hire veterinarians. And we are very concerned that there's not going to be enough veterinarians in the future. And it takes four years to train a veterinarian. And the vet schools that are there are fairly entrenched. And they're like, we're, we're increasing our class size by 10 seats. And I'm like, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's and, great. <laughs> and I appreciate Yeah, I appreciate it. But that's not going to move the needle in any way. And so then you look at the tech side and you go, okay, well, we've got more work than we can do. And, we, and there's not going to be a swell of veterinarians coming. So where does that leave us? And then you just turn and you look at your vet techs who are in the trench with you, right? And we don't have a lot of vet techs. And you say, well, why don't we have vet techs? And the reason we don't have vet techs, guys, is because the numbers don't make sense. I mean, that's in my pragmatic eyes. So I've got a friend, uh, Melissa Intrekin, who is uh, the 2021 NAVTA Vet Tech of the Year. And she's, she's amazing. You're talking about pro-vet tech and, and super smart. But she, she teaches at, at the tech college here near, near me. So we get to sit down and have coffee together. And she talks about when people come and they look at the tech program. And so when they come to, and, and, and they're looking at the tech program and they're considering going into, into the veterinary technician program there, uh, she shows them the starting salary numbers. And they look. And they're like, wait a second, mm -hmm. I could do a similar program in length and cost and become an echocardiology technician for human healthcare and make 75K a year. Or I could go and work just as hard and be a vet tech and make 34K a year. Yeah. And she goes, that's when I lose them. And I go, yeah, well, of yeah. course you do, you know, yeah. and, and again, not to knock our current text. Like I, I, I can say a lot of wonderful things about our current text, but you can't blame people who look at the numbers and go, yeah, I don't know about this. And so that that's where we are. And so that's where the shortage is. And so then people say, but, but how do we get out of this? And what the answer to me is we've got more work than we can do. We have technicians who want to do more things. 
like the techs that I know, they want to use their skills. They want to get education. They want to do more stuff. And guys, that's part of enjoying your job, right? It's challenging yourself, mm-hmm. growing, doing oh, things. Yeah. They want to do more stuff and they want to earn more money. Guys, to me, it's a fairly simple problem. If I got somebody who wants to do more <laughs> stuff and earn more money, I ought to be able to figure that out. And so, so, so that's, that's where I, that's where I think that things are going to go. And the other reason I think it's going to go that way is because we've got this influx of, of a private equity money coming into vet medicine and we've got corporations that are buying up practices. And again, I think that's a mixed bag. I'm not super pro or super anti corporation. I, I, I'm not at all. I think that they're a mixed bag like most things in life. But one thing that I do get is these guys are not playing around. And they don't want to hear that they cannot generate the revenue they want to generate because they don't have enough help. And Mm -hmm. so I see those people coming with significant resources and a firm desire to get cases done and to make this business model work. And I think that's going to be good for vet techs. And so anyway, right now, I think we're stuck in the middle. Although I will say, Uh, Talking with Melissa and looking at some of the numbers that she has put forward, the average starting salary of veterinary technicians in the last two years has had a significant bump, which is good, right? So we've just seen in the last two years, we've seen vet tech starting salaries bump up and and vet practices are feeling it, right? And um, I think everybody's navigating that, but there is significant upward pressure and that's, you know, that's, that's market forces. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that I think we're already starting to see changes to what the vet tech career path is going to be like. And guys, I'm I'm optimistic. I really am. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that we've noticed is that, you know, maybe four, maybe five years ago, it was an owner's market. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's a it's an employee's market. Yeah. And and not just in vet med, I think in, in every field it's that way because there's a shortage of, of people that that have the jobs. So, you know, we're, we're kind of dictating that I'm not going to work for $12 an hour because I can, I can go to target and make 16 being a cashier and not having to deal with, with cranky owners. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hopefully that, that pressure happens and, and moves up. Well, I think so. I mean, I think, I think to add in that, that sort of cultural event, cause I think you're right. The great resignation comes along and people reevaluate what they want to do. And there's this huge swell in virtual work opportunities. And a lot of technicians say, I can do this. One of my positions for years and years and years and years has been that if you are smart enough to be a good vet tech and you work hard enough to be a good vet tech and you are kind enough and compassionate enough and empathetic enough to be a good vet tech, you, my friend, can do a lot of things in this world besides be a vet tech. And a lot of those things pay a lot better than vet techs. And that's that's how I, could, I look at practice owners and I look at my fellow veterinarians in the eye and go, guys, why are we expecting these people to be here? We've got to figure out how to take better care of them or they're going to go somewhere else because that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, really, for sure. you know, for sure. it's and, very it's true. Just, but it's and, and it's not about us versus them or, or vet techs being unreasonable. I think they've been exceedingly reasonable. And, and these are people who are here for their passion. But I don't think that that at some point your passion, passion is a is an intense emotion. Right. But passion, uh, we all anyone who's married know that passion is passive like it comes and it goes and at some point you're just you're just married 
You're not like the passion ain't, ain't what it used to be. But if, if if you don't find love beyond that and find yourself in a healthy relationship, you got real problems. And so I think right now, in a lot of cases, we're taking advantage of the passion of vet techs without being honest about the fact that passion fades after a number of years. And you got to have something stronger to build a relationship on to keep people engaged. For sure. And I, I could say the same thing, you know, from, from my perspective, would, would go for veterinarians as well. I think corporations have, have leveraged the passion that veterinarians come in with and, and to some degree overextended them as well. And I think they're, you know, they're probably getting some pushback on that now as well. But so I, I can see that how that would affect, you know, your group as well and probably just really everybody, you know, in our field kind of across the board. And, and we'll circle back to the utilization in a little bit, because we've got some more questions about that and how we can kind of move that forward. But I wanted to ask you about Uncharted. Mm-hmm. We had Kelsey Beth Carpenter on our show. She was one of our first guests, I think, in 2019 or 2020. And she talked a little bit about it in the community that it is. And I wanted to hear from you what what kind of led to that, how you've built it, what it looks like. Talk a little bit about that, because it sounds fascinating to me. Oh, man. Oh, that's a that's a big one. I've been lecturing for about 13 years at this point on exam room communication and conflict management and change management and all the sorts of communication things. And and I keep having a couple of experiences. And one of the experiences, I always go to uh, events or conferences and I talk to people and they get really excited, uh, you know, and, and they're like, wow, this is great. And he's so enthusiastic. And, and this stuff is super helpful and really valuable. And I'm all fired up and, and I really want to go do these things. And then they go home and nobody else there is fired up about it. And they just kind of get shot down or they go back and they make some changes, but then they kind of run out of steam and it kind of fades away. Uh, the other conversation I have a lot is that people come and 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 they're like, this was great. How do I tell my team about it? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'll be back in a year or two, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, and that I always I thought a lot about like, how do you really change people? How do you change behaviors? How do you really grow people? And I just think the one and done approach doesn't really work that well. You know, we've all gone and gone to CE and gotten fired up and then kind of nothing comes of it. And so I was looking at that and I was looking at what does the future really look like as far as, as, as making real changes. And, and I, uh, and I also went and I looked at different events and, you know, I've been to so many meetings, so many meetings over a decade and some of them are great and some of them are not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I got pretty good at spotting, like, this is great, and this is why it's great. It's always fascinating to me. When I leave and I'm like, that was super fun. I wish I'd stayed for another day. Then I ask myself, well, why? And there's a couple reasons for that. And a, and a lot of it is a sense of community. It's about people knowing each other when they're there. It's them having things in common. The, the meetings that make things great are not what people say from the stage. It's the conversations you have in the hallway. It's who you have coffee with. And so I really thought a lot about that. And so then, my friends, I sat down and said, after 10 years, how do I make something that's that truly has an impact and is special? And and so um, it came down to that. How do I create community? How do I get a shared sense of purpose from people? How do I have a conference that never ends? How do I have a conference where people get together and then stay together or come back together again and again and again when they come and they get fired up and then they go home and they run right into an immediate roadblock and they go, look, I thought I knew what I was doing. And now I got here in the, in the text or the front desk are saying this thing and I don't know what to tell them. And they've got a point. How do they come back and say, Andy, they've got a point. And I can say, aha, they do. This is 
what we need to do first so that they're going to be comfortable going in this direction. They go, oh, and they go on. And so I, I wanted to make the conference that never ends. And so that's how I started Uncharted. And the idea was it was still was about was five years ago. Uh, but we started with a Facebook group. And when people joined our conference, uh, we would put them in the Facebook group. And we just started talking and meeting people and talking about their practices and what they're doing. And, and really, we got this very vibrant online group going. And then they came together in person. And it was really great because everybody there like knew each other because they had been talking already in this online group. And, uh, and and the next part of it was, you know, my wife, as I said, is a college professor, and she's really big in active learning. And guys, I think a lot of times people, uh, we go to lectures and we sit and somebody talks at us for an hour. And I'm like, that's not how we learn. You know, uh, that's like... Even even today, when people watch TV, they're on social media and they do, you know, and we just have this new level of engagement that we want. The other thing is you go and you and, and I'll do a lecture and I'll talk about a toxic client or a toxic teammate, whatever. And somebody will come up to me and go, I heard what you said, but let me tell you about Tina at our practice and how she's <laughs> different. And I'm like. I get it because everybody's got their own slight variation on the theme and they really want to know about their thing. And so I really leaned into active learning. And so Uncharted is very much, it's not lectures, it's workshops and it's discussion groups. And we actually have a mechanism on the first night where we talk about what we want to do as individuals and what we're here for. And then the attendees propose sessions that they want to see. And then we have a mechanism, we vote on them. And then we actually put those sessions on before the conference is over. So like 40% of the conference gets made up by the people attending the conference. And so they're wow. like, this is amazing because they get to talk about exactly what they want. And I, I do, I've done improv comedy for about a decade. And so, and then the other thing is I've been lecturing so long, I've got a pretty deep library, uh, you know, that, that I can pull from, but you know, the truth is the wisdom of the group is greater than the wisdom of the individuals. And so I can bring people together and start to talk to them about, you know, what, what has worked for them and what have you, what's, what's worked in your practice. Think about a time that you set good personal boundaries and it went well. Why did it go well? How did you set it up and why were you successful? And people go, well, I guess I was because I did this thing first or because, you know, I had the support of my practice manager in this way. And then they go, oh, well, I guess that is important. And then other people say, well, I did it this way. And, and really quick, I don't have to have the answers because I think honestly en enough of us are doing enough things, that doing them well, that when we get together and we talk in a productive framework, we get the answers that we need. I don't, I don't buy into this sage on the stage, even though that's usually how I'm set up as, but it's, it's not, it's not what, it's not what most of us really need. Most of us have the skills. And if we just get to talk about what's going on with other people, we find the answers, we find our own way. And honestly, that's how we learn and retain information. So anyway, that's a very long winded answer about what Uncharted <laughs> is. And I don't think I answered your question at all as far as what it actually no, is. No, but that's, it's, yeah, that was it's it. special. There's not, there's not anything else like it um and the people who love it really love it and so yeah and it's um yeah it's we we moved it off of facebook we've got our own online community on a different separate platform and yeah we do we do lots of workshops and we do roundtables and discussion groups and book clubs and it's just it's just good positive people showing up and uh and helping each other yeah, you have to send us a, a link or, or some way that we can get people to sign up for it. And, oh, yeah, sure. And kind of, kind of expand yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So how did it become that you are now like this, you have so many videos on, on social media. How did you become this social media icon that, that we've all known to 
to find on, on our social media platforms. I was watching the other day the one with with you and an owner doing the reverse sneezing impressions, which <laughs> hilarious, hilarious oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I mean, just a lot of it is, is is dumb luck, and a lot of it is kind of what we talked about before about figuring out what you enjoy and how to do more of it. I was at the right place at the right time in a lot of ways. My daughter uh, was born in 2008. I was in my last year in vet school, and she got she became verbal about one year of age, and boy was she verbal. Uh, that kid just <laughs> talked constantly. <laughs> and so Facebook was just getting going in like 2008. And so I opened up an yeah, account yeah. so I could share photos of my kid with my family. And I started writing down funny things my daughter would say or conversations that we had. And I like telling jokes and stuff. And, and it, it, people seemed to enjoy it. And they, they enjoyed that. I liked being able to write and it kind of gave me a creative outlet. And so I just used it and I genuinely enjoyed it. I don't, anybody who's out there grinding on social media and not enjoying social media, like, oh, buddy, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. And again, then your feelings change over time. But I, I really liked it. And so I started building that stuff up. I'll, I'll give you sort of a quick marketing story. You know, I went to the editor at DVM News Magazine back in the day, and, and they had asked me to write some articles. And, and I wanted to get to write more articles, and I wanted to get paid more for the articles that I wrote. Um, I'll give you a quick spoiler alert. That never happened. There's no money in writing. <laughs> There's no money in writing articles. If you're like, that's that's the path. Like, no, it's not. You're not going to. Don't. Just do it because you want to do it. And it's, don't. If you're in it for the money. That's like being like, I'm in vet medicine for the money. Right. Like, oh, buddy. Right. Yeah, right. What, yeah, right. What, what wrong turn did you make? Right. Um, but yeah. So so anyway, I went and I was like, hey, uh, hey, hey, uh, Miss Editor, um, what uh, what makes a good article? And she said, well, we know it when we see it. And I was like, that's not helpful yeah, that's not what <laughs> at <I want>. all. <laughs> and she said, well, okay. She said, how about this? When we take an article and we put it online, and this is like 10, 12, 13 years ago. She says, uh, if we put it online and 1,000 people click on the link, that's a good article. And if 5,000 people click on it, it's a great article. And if 10,000 people click on it, it's a blockbuster. And I said, okay, I can work with that. And so I went away and I will say, I I think the flash of brilliance that I had that I still stick to is this. I think a lot of people look at social media and they want to go viral. They're like, I'm going to make something that everybody is going to like. I did not do that because I had been doing it long enough at the time that I knew that that's mission impossible. Like it's just, so people are so fickle and sometimes you make great stuff and people just don't care or they're not in the mood for it. Like you just don't have that level of control to make awesome stuff again and again. Most of the stuff you make is going to be awesome and ignored. And every now and then something's going to go, but it's never the thing that you think is going to go. And it's never the thing that you really want to go. It's always some random thing. And so I looked at that and what I decided was, Hey, I've got a style that's mine. I, I, am, I am a quirky guy, and I, I, I tell a story a certain way, and I, I have a certain sense of humor. And I think that there's a thousand people out there who would like my sense of humor. Like, I, I, think, I think that there's that. And so instead of trying to make things that are wildly popular, I'm going to try to collect the thousand people who think I'm funny and who like my stuff so that I can show everything I write to those people. And then I won't get 10,000 clicks, but I'll get a thousand clicks on everything. And that, my friends, is I, I found that to be wildly valuable because those people, that small group of people who like your stuff, they support you. 
and they encourage you and they write you nice emails and they say nice things to you about your uh, articles. And then if you do a presentation, they'll come to it because they like you. And it sort of protects you from a lot of the wildness of, of the Internet. And um, and I started like that, and I was not trying to be all things to all people. I was I was being true to myself, and I was making things that I liked, and I was trying to get them in front of people who had seen my stuff before and who knew me and who would actually open it up and look at the thing that I made. And that was the grind that I made, and it worked really, really well. Um, and ultimately, I ended up with lots and lots of people who who will see something that I wrote, and they'll give me the benefit of the doubt, and they'll and they'll click on it because they've liked other things I've written in the past. It's not about doing something that's so great that people can't look away. It's about consistently doing stuff that your people see value in so that they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And that, I think, is what really makes a career, is not being a high flyer who is swings for the fences and tries to get as much attention as possible. It's making something you think is truly good and useful, valuable, that a certain group of people is going to find useful and valuable and just and doing it again and again and again and again. And so I, th- I think that that was, was really, uh, I, I, don't, I think that was really sort of the key for me and kind of how it, how it went from there, from how it went from from goofing off telling stories about my daughter to <laughs> to where we are today. That that is valuable advice for yes. two people that cannot seem to get a handle on the social media. Thing. <laughs> right. no, and, well, and, the, and the game and the game has changed a lot. You know, um, mm-hmm. you you really I, I I tell I tell you I think with a lot of things like this, people undervalue their own enjoyment. Like I've always looked at this as as it's my art and people say, well, what should I do? And what's popular and where are people at? And I go, I don't care about any of that. And you shouldn't either like pay attention, look, see what people care about. But for the most part, you should make things that make you happy and that you enjoy making, because if you make those things, then you'll keep going. And so like I talked to you guys in the Vet Tech Cafe, you clearly enjoy making this podcast and talking to these people. That's your art. That's the thing. And you'll keep doing it. And consistency wins the day and the game. And your people will find the podcast and they will be your audience. And they might not be a million people. They're not going to be a million people because our industry is small. But yeah. but I can tell you that those people are um, – they're awesome. You know what I mean? And they make this job worth doing. And, 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 and um, I think a lot of times – the idea that I have to do these other things to grow, grow, grow. I go a lot of that just, it feels like a path to unhappiness in so many ways. And so find the thing that is your art that you say, I would do this if nobody was watching. If no one listened, I would still, that's how I am. I love, I I have a, I do the Kona Shane podcast and I just geek out and Mm -hmm. ask questions that I want to ask. And I would make this podcast and never publish it because I just want to talk to fascinating people. Yeah. And, and as a result, you know, we're like 140 episodes now on that podcast. And it's just, I, I just crank them out because it's awesome yeah. to do it. And and like the <laughs> fact that the fact that 10,000 people listen every week is like, that's, that's amazing. I just can't believe that that's real. 
but it's a byproduct of me doing this thing that I genuinely enjoy talking to people I genuinely think is fascinating. Mm. And like, it's amazing how that works. But when people do uninspired work, everybody can tell, you know, like we've all seen people who are punching the clock and just being like, I got to write this thing. Well, that thing is never going to be amazing because your heart's not in it. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and was it David List that told us if you're not passionate about what you're speaking about, get off the stage because yeah. nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. David yeah. Liss is a great is a great speaker. Yeah, you know, for sure. your, your for enthusiasm sure. should should carry you. I, and I would also say, you know, I have this thing I, I say to to young speakers when people ask me for advice, and and one of the biggest mistakes that I see people who are presenting on topics make is uh, they'll get it they'll get asked to talk about say social media or they'll get asked to talk about anesthesiology, right? So they're a vet tech and they're and they're asked to to present on anesthesiology, and they'll go, oh no. I got to do this right. And they'll go and they'll get an anesthesiology textbook and be like, what do they need to know? And then they will go and they will present chapter one of the anesthesiology textbook. And they'll be like, how did it go? And I'm like, it was boring as hell. But I don't tell them that. But everyone in the room was like, oh, oh. So, but, but, but hear this when I say it, right? People don't want to see you present anesthesiology, right? Think of a Venn diagram. There is a circle, which is basic anesthesiology information. And that's a big circle, okay? And then there's a circle of things that you are passionate about and that have happened to you in your life that have not happened to other people. They want you to talk about the overlap between those two circles. Don't talk about anesthesiology. Talk about the cases that you got wrong and what you learned from it. And people will write pages of notes and no one else can give that lecture. And now you're making something that is different and special and unique and it's yours. And that, that's, that's, that's the magic, right? And the other thing is it's a heck of a lot more interesting and entertaining for you to tell stories and to Mm -hmm. talk about the things that you get jazzed about than to do this basic course that you put together. And so, um, yeah, but all this stuff sort of ties back together into do what makes you happy, do what you enjoy, you know, do what lights your fire and don't worry so much about what you're supposed to do, you know, figure out like, what do you need to do to move forward? But that's, but that's a big one. I think that's more true now in social media than ever before. I see a lot of people out there posting on social who don't, they don't enjoy it. And they, you know, and, and it just, I don't know. I, I just, I really (laughs) feel like the, the, the value really comes from doing something that you would do if other people weren't even watching. That's a great mm. point. Great point. Excellent. Well, we are, I don't know, we're halfway. a little more than halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we take a break now? Because we're, we're probably going to run over, but, you said you've got time, so we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna eat up your time. So sure. why don't we take a little quick break here, and then we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under forty-eight hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy, and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. 
You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where we understand if you want to go into human nursing, but people are gross. And from what we hear, there's a lot of red tape you don't want to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Roca, uh, we just had our ad for BetterHelp. And one of the things we always like to ask our guests is, how do you manage your mental health? How do you get away from veterinary medicine to just go back to to you as a person? Yeah. So I'm a big believer in this idea of third spaces. Okay, so a third space uh, comes from uh, community planning. And when people are sitting down to plan a community, if they want it to be an actual community and not just a bedroom place that people go to from work, they focus a lot on what are called third spaces. And so the idea is your first space is your home. It's where you live. Your second space is work. And there are a lot of places where people drive from home to work and back to home and back to work. And those are not what you would call vibrant communities, although we've all seen those places. If you want a community, the third space, which is a place that is not home and is not work, where people go and spend time. I am very aware that a lot of people in vet medicine go from work to home and home to work. And when they go home, they call their friends from work and they talk to them <laughs> and they talk about work. Mm-hmm. And then and then they go to work the next day. And, and I'm they like, take care of all the pets that they've accumulated after taking yeah. care of pets all day. Absolutely. They go home and they take care of, uh, of pets uh, at their house. And I go, guys, um, I worry about this. And if that's, if that's your jam and, and, and it doesn't wear you down, then more power to you. But for me, I can't do that. And so I'm a big believer in having things that I do where people don't know or care that I'm a veterinarian. I want to go to places where it's not it's not about pets and I'm doing things that don't have anything to do with pets. I I have a lot of hobbies. I am a big gardener. I, I work in my yard a lot. I do a lot of landscaping, shrubs, plants. Uh, I'm trying to do some vegetables, but uh, mostly shrubs uh, and trees <laughs> and plants and stuff. So anyway, but 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 I like, I like to work in my yard, but um, I uh, I do improv comedy. And two nights a week, I go and we do a practice and we do shows on Friday nights. And those guys don't care that I'm a vet. They don't ask me animal questions. I don't talk about animals. I don't bring it up. I just go and we just talk comedy and try to be funny together. And I think that that is, I think that that's a really good, really healthy thing. I love to go to CrossFit. Uh, I go to CrossFit and I work out and I don't talk about I don't talk about my cases and every now and then somebody will ask me a pet question, but it's very rare. And, and, and it's rare because I don't talk about, I don't tell people I'm a vet. I just say, I'm Andy. Uh, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, mm-hmm. I kind of, they'll talk about their pets and I just don't join the conversation because I don't <laughs> want, I want to do my job. I'm, I'm here to do something else, but those are, those are the big things for me. So I have, a, I have a lot of hobbies. Um, 
but but working out is one improv comedy is one gardening things like that yeah i i i i, I my kids i do a lot of stuff with my kids we play dungeons and dragons together uh so me and my two <laughs> daughters and so yeah it's just i have i just got a lot of a lot of geeky things that uh it's, that i do it's funny you call it third spacing because normally in the veterinary world third spacing <laughs> is a bad thing yeah yeah exactly no, it's, it's important <laughs> it's important to, to be very specific about what kind of third yeah. space we're talking about there's some context uh, you there don't want to be sure. pro third spacing uh <laughs> just without context it's important to let people know what you're talking about they're gonna think you're really bad at your job if you're like yeah thumbs up yeah third spacing <laughs> yeah yeah you know we talk a lot about mental health on our podcast and we just did for you know for every may we do a big uh, mental health awareness month series and, and we just did a whole three episodes on looking at addiction in our field and, and we do a lot of different things around it. We've talked about four eyes saves lives in previous episodes, which I know you are a big proponent of. And just kind of on on the whole in the field, what are you seeing? Like how how are things maybe changing from when you started to now? What can we still improve? Uh, obviously, the hobbies and that you know that you describe for yourself are, are helpful. But what other things are out there? That's a big question. Yeah, um, I know, I know. It's a big question. Uh, where, where to begin on that? Uh, I am optimistic. I, I would tell you in, in the last decade, the conversation around mental health has grown and improved monumentally. Uh, I think I think it wasn't that long ago. We didn't talk about mental health and wellness. There was not a lot of mental health talk when I was in vet school. It was just something that we didn't really talk about. I think the stigma of mental health uh, and mental health awareness was was much stronger. And I think it's broken down pretty quickly. I really think that things like social media are good for raising awareness. And I think that there has been a lot of awareness raised. And so in that way, I am very positive about where we have gone uh, in mental health. I think that things like social media are not so good at translating awareness into action. And there's a lot of conversation on social media and sharing of ideas. Again, really great. At some point, the rubber needs to meet the road. And we need to start making things better on the ground. And I think that that's actually where we are now. And so there's a number of things that, that I would point to. I would say there are real solutions underway. I, I do a fair amount of work with Banfield. I, I like those guys and I do training and stuff with them. They launched their Ask program like two years ago, which is similar to the QPR, which is question, persuade, refer, to actually get people help when you think this person may be considering suicide. And so Ask is, is a program that they created and they put out. I see a lot of vet practices that offer better help as an employee perk. We offer better help as an employee perk in Uncharted um, for, for our employees. And so, uh, like, yeah, it was just if you work at Uncharted, it is a thing and you have access to it. It's just because I want my people and I have a lot of I have a lot of vet techs uh, that work for for me for Uncharted. And and uh, I again, I just it's a thing that uh, therapy stuff can be expensive. And it's a thing that I, as a business owner, can help with. Employee assistance programs have gotten a lot of attention and they have grown, especially in independent practices. Employee assistance programs are programs that the employer can pay for and they are not super expensive, but they are to assist the employees and they can have things like counseling sessions involved in them. And I say to, I say to doctors and I say to techs who are working other people and say, you're not a therapist. It's not your job. Like you're, you should not be expected to help someone beyond 
your comfort level or beyond just a basic uh, trying to be supportive of them because I, we're not we're not qualified to muck around in people's in, in their psyches. <laughs> but then the question is, how do we help them then? There's got to be something in place for that. So the employee assistance programs, uh, options for counseling, therapy, things like that. I'm seeing that stuff a whole lot more. The Four Eyes Save Lives uh, is about limiting access to the means to uh, to end one's life. And it's just that simple when people decide to end their lives, uh, just speaking in, in broad terms. There's a lot of research that indicates it is a pretty impulsive decision. They decide and then they do it. And if they stop, there's a very good chance that they will reconsider, right? Mm -hmm. um, if they do mm -hmm. not have immediate access and ability, they will often go and get some food and feel better or go home and see their spouse and talk to them. And their spouse can have a chance to say, how I'm worried about you. How are you? And, and again, it's not, it's not perfect, but it, there's a lot of research that says that limiting, limiting access um, makes a difference. The classic example is the Golden Gate Bridge. And the Golden Gate Bridge used to be a, a huge place for people to go and jump. And then they put up uh, nets and boy, the people of San Francisco complain and said, how dare you spend this money? This is ridiculous. This is not going to do anything. But it did. It was a huge decrease in the number of people uh, there in, in their life. And just the rates in general for the area went way down. And it just, it, it, there's a lot of reasons. And I think they're beyond the scope of the podcast. And they're kind of a morbid subject to get into. But, but other than that, I would say, there's a lot of good research behind the idea of just making it so that it's it's harder to do. And so there's a bunch of, of small steps like that. I don't think that there is a magic switch that we can flip. I don't think that there's one solution that's going to make mental health stuff go away. This is a complex problem that requires a multimodal approach to treatment. And I think that we as a profession are mobilizing and that is happening now. I also want to say, because a lot of people look at this and they say, oh, you know, this mental health in our profession looks exceedingly bad. I do think that we need to do a better job of putting things into context and say the mental health of our population as a whole is not good and our society is not good. I think the goal for mental health awareness programs in vet medicine should be to return the vet profession to mirror the general population, which sadly is not a great, <laughs> not a great bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's but a, it's, it's something. It's a, it's it, a step it, in the it, right direction. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It, it's, it's exactly right. And But that's, that's how we have to take a yeah. process like this, right? You need to make these steps and then you need to be proud of the steps that you made because that's what motivates you to keep making steps. So we have a long way to go, but um, I am happy about the amount of awareness to mental health and mental health issues that I have seen in the last, especially five years, but the last 10 years overall, I think that we have done, uh, done a good job. And I am also proud of practices on the ground rolling out initiatives to support their people and keep them safe. And I think that um, I, I expect that we'll see that continue. And this is not just a vet medicine problem. This is a this is a uh, American problem. Well, to divert away from mental health, because we could probably talk <laughs> about mental health. We just talked about mental health for a whole month. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's divert back to uh, veterinary technicians. So you are quite the champion of the veterinary technician profession and our role in the clinic and, and in the profession. So why is that? Where, where does that come from? Were you a tech at one point in your life? Like, like, why are you different than most other veterinarians <laughs> that we 
that we come across. Not to say that all veterinarians are not pro-technician. I'm, I'm not trying to say that and cause a lot of comments <laughs> on the on social media. Sure. But, but you seem to be going above and beyond what what's normal. Well, there's there's sort of two two parts of it for me, and neither one of them is is super glamorous. I I, I don't think. But you know, I have um I have it's sort of the way my moral compass is kind of laid out. Is I I just have this really deep belief that people who work hard and make sacrifices should get rewarded. Like I just, it's just a, a belief I have in the world and how things should be. And I look at veterinary technicians in the clinics working real hard and being called on again and again to make sacrifices. And I don't always feel like they're getting rewarded in a way that makes sense to me. And I think that that, that, bothers me uh to some level and i go these people are special and they are doing all the things that should lead them to a very um healthful career and i, and I haven't seen that and I, and, I, and i feel like we've been stuck in a place where that has not been that has not been the case and i think that a lot of it comes from my interest in business and being a business owner i sort of look at it and say i, I feel this responsibility to take care of my people and I don't mean that in a paternalistic way, but I do mean in the fact that the people who come to work for me and, and, and give of themselves to the purpose that we serve, I want those people to be happy and I want them to be taken care of. And so th those things sort of interface when I look at just the vet, uh, vet tech profession as a whole and go, I don't think we're taking care of our people the way that we should. And that bothers me. The 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 other part of it is, is again, much less much less sort of relational and, and much more pragmatic. And I think that, that I think this has made me a good advocate for technicians is that, and I, I'm going to try to say this the right way because there's a lot of nuance here. I, I am not someone who defines himself as being pro-technician. I, in all honesty, am pro-doctor and pro-vet <laughs> pro practice. I just truly believe that the best way to be pro-doctor and pro-vet practice is to take care of your technicians and empower them and leverage them and grow them and develop them. And that's what I believe. And it's just, it's super pragmatic. <laughs> but I do think... That's so ridiculous. But it's, And again, that doesn't mean I don't love my vet techs. I totally do. But that is the underlying true driver. But I think that that has made me in my career extremely effective in advocating for technicians because I don't go in and talk about my love of technicians and how, you know, technicians should be treated this way or that way. I go in and talk to the doctors about how we doctors need to improve our lives by delegating to our technicians. And in order to do that, we're going to need to compensate our technicians. But we can do this and we can make these numbers work so that we do we get the simplicity that we want. We can have the lower stress lifestyle. We can have the patient care that we want and not freak out on our day off the whole time. And, it, and I hope that that make I hope that that makes sense in sort of how I say that and why I say that. But I really, truly believe by not coming at the profession as uh, waving a vet tech flag, but instead coming at the profession saying we're all in this together. 
let's talk about how our practices are going to really work. And then being honest about the role that text should play in my mind. I, I think that makes me very persuasive and, and I don't come off so much as being a super biased uh, presenter to to the other vets, so they're like, "Oh yeah, this mm-hmm. guy's looking yeah. out for us. <laughs> this yeah. guy's looking out for us." And I'm like, "And I <laughs> makes am. a lot of sense." And, and, I, yeah. and I am. Do you do you feel like that view has has kind of evolved since you became a practice owner, or have you always felt like that? Have I always felt like what? What do you mean? Your your idea of we can make our doctors' lives better by supporting our technicians and respecting them and paying them well and all that stuff. My views on those things have evolved, like most people's have, as you get mm-hmm. life experience. When I was a young person, I didn't really know what it was like to live on $12 an hour, you know, <laughs> and only a- and only after I had a kid and looked around, I was like, how in the world are you supposed to do that? That, you know what I mean? And and I think that this, at some point I, 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 I grew up like most other people did. And at first I didn't think much about it, you know, and then as I went on, I, I kind of had that epiphany that at some point you can't live on passion. You know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to make a living. And, 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 you know, I got to a place in my career where I flirted with boredom and kind of burnout. And then I went through that and I was like, that was one star would not recommend, <laughs> you know, and, and then, and then you see those things in other people, but I don't know that most of us see or understand those things until we've been through them right i think our ability to empathize Mm -hmm. is fairly limited i think i think maybe we should give ourselves and other people more grace when they're young about not understanding the plight of other people because how would you i i mean i just i wouldn't um and so a lot of it for me has been have you know having a family yeah and just getting a bit older and and my my back hurts and i don't want to pick up big dogs all the time like i used to and so i have a new understanding for my shout out to my 40 year old vet techs out there uh and and older um picking big dogs up ain't it ain't easy on you after a while and you know i didn't think much about it when i was 28 you know 31 but but I do, I think about it now. And, you know, you start to have those, those thoughts of like, Hey man, my knees and back aren't what they used to be. And this is a physical job. And where does that, where does that take me? And I, I've had a lot of those thoughts as I've gotten older and I've, I didn't think of that stuff when I was young. And so I don't, I don't know if that really answers your question, but, but it's always, uh, it's always just sort of been a work in progress of trying to look around and empathize with other people and see stuff. And my texts say things to me that, you know, that, you have these conversations that kind of rock you uh, in a number of ways. I was, I was talking to one of my techs. It's been a couple of years, but I like this tech. She's she's a good good technician, and she came in and she sat with me and she said, "You know, I'm really thinking about leaving the practice." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Well, I don't want to be Sandy," is what she said. And so Sandy was another vet tech who'd been at our practice, uh, and she'd been there for literally 30 years as the surgery tech. And I said, well, what do you mean when you say you don't want to be Sandy? And she said, well, Sandy came here and did the same job every day for 30 years, and I can't come here and do the same job every day for 30 years. And I was kind of thunderstruck by that because what she said made total sense to me. But her sharing that concern and sharing it in that way really resonated with me in a way that changed my perspective and opened my eyes. 
And so I have, I have gone through a lot of those conversations that have helped me see other ways of looking at, at situations. And so, yeah, my, my views, I, uh, they continue to evolve and change sort of as, as we go along. I, I, I get that. I, I've worked my, my first job in vet med. I worked with, uh, uh someone who, who had been there. She, she'd been there probably 30 years before I, before I left. And I, I think, I think she's still working there and that was 20 years ago. Yeah. So it couldn't, it couldn't be 50 years. Anyways, she, she'd been there for a very long time. And I, I lasted in that practice 10, 12 years before I was like, I'm doing the same thing every day. I need, I need to go. But for her, that job and that stability was something that she wanted. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that maybe that's not for me doesn't mean you have to leave the field. But I mean, that's one of the main reasons that I left general practice to go work in ERs because I saw things that were in, in, exciting to me and entertaining for me, whereas she was more comfortable doing the same thing every day for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think we do have to realize that there are different types of techs that are are comfortable with just one narrow focus of what they're what they're dealing with and those of us that are just like, I need more than just that. Yeah. I, I think I, I hope that our profession is getting better at having those conversations. You know, mm -hmm. one of the big things I talk to practice owners about at Uncharted is I always say, Do you know what your people want? Do you ask mm -hmm. them where they hope to be in a year? or five years, or what they're looking forward to. And I think you can ask people those questions. If you say to them, what do you want to do? They tend to not have very good answers. Most of right, us can't right. really answer that question very well. But if you say, where would you like to be in a year? Or what What are you excited about learning? What are you excited about doing in your, you know, in your career? What do you not enjoy about your job? A lot of people can mm -hmm. tell you what they don't enjoy about their job, but those things can help you to, to kind of look at people and, and what is their comfort level in change and growth. And some people, as you say, they want to stay there and other people don't, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just trying to understand where people are and, and try to, you know, just trying to work with them and grow with them. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. Right, right. For sure. You know, I, I think when we think about like this idea of technician utilization and, and you were talking about, you know, being pro doctor or pro practice and, and that kind of thing, I think the doctor and technician relationship and interaction is really important. There's a certain amount of trust there. And when you talk about utilization or when we as technicians say we, we need to be utilized more, we need this, we need that. There's, there's a certain amount of trust that has to be built there, and, and you kind of have to crawl before you can walk and walk before mm -hmm. you can run. You're not just going to be given these tasks that maybe the veterinarian doesn't know your comfortable, comfort level yet. So my question sure. to you is, as a veterinarian, how can we as veterinary technicians either improve that relationship or build that trust or make it so that it's easier for you to let go of things and give us those things to do. Because I imagine as a veterinarian, so much of that responsibility falls on you. And it is to some degree hard to let some of that stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a number of things that I think we do to, to build that trust and, and get to do those things. I, and I think that you put your finger right on the biggest thing that people miss from the beginning is, is the relationship uh, trust component. And there's a lot of people that go out and they get training and they come back and they say, well, I'm going to do this now, or I want to do this now. And they're resentful. The doctor's like, no, I don't think so. And, and again, I get that frustration, but I also get the other side, you know, the doctor, the doctor sort of coming in. And so I, I think the healthiest thing that people can do is say, this is a process and this is where I'm going. The first thing is you should know the doctor as a person. 
And this actually comes from research in, in human side of medicine is that nurses who know the doctors they work with are happier and have a more trusting relationship and higher job satisfaction than nurses who don't know the doctors they work with. It does come down to trust. And you say, but knowing them better doesn't make me trust them more. And I say, who do you barely know that you trust versus who do you know yeah. well that you trust? Mm -hmm. It's really not that. It's really a lot of it is not about the thing that you want to do. It's about them knowing you as a person. And so there is great value in just getting to know your doctors. And, and I always say the doctors, the doctors usually have to drive these conversations. They have to show that they're open to knowing people. And, and really, you know, there's a power dynamic there. And I say to doctors, you should know your techs. And so I'm a big fan of just getting to know these people as people. Who are they? What do they care about? What do they, you know, what do they do for fun? You know, just being able to talk with them as people and build that sort of just basic relationship you're already building in that way of trust. You know, the other part is just making sure that you're doing a generally a good job and are seen as a good, reliable, a reliable person. Just cover those basic trust bases. Beyond that. There's a couple of things we can do when we start getting into specific skills. I am a huge fan of demonstrating expertise. I think that that's an important thing. I, I would tend to do things like I would communicate, first of all, communicate to the doctor your intentions and what you're interested in and say, hey, I'm really interested in this. Would you let me know if you have cases that come in or would you be willing to talk with me if you see these cases? And that's a lot about letting the doctor know what you want. And then it's a lot about getting the doctor to invest in you, my friends. And so letting the doctor teach you and you say, but I don't need to be taught because I did these great training, these courses. I go, well, that's, maybe it's not about what you learn. It's about the comfort level of this person and them having them delegate to you. And so allowing yourself to be trained by the doctor can oftentimes grease the wheels as far as getting them to let you do things. And so saying, hey, I'm really interested in this. Would you be willing to talk to me about cases that come in or maybe tap me and, and let me let me let me watch these things or or things like that. And it's just showing showing your interest and showing that you want to, to want to watch and be involved. The other part is to say, can I I've had this training. Can I assist you with these things or would it be possible for me to do this under your supervision? And again, it's all about making this a small ask. Right. It's not going for, hey, I've been trained and now I want to do this. It's, hey, can I do this under your supervision? It's small steps and everybody stay comfortable and we're all going to be cool. And after they've watched you do it a couple of times, then they're going to be more likely to say, well, you just go off on you can go off on your own and do it. There's demonstrating expertise, like saying, hey, I've had this great training. I was wondering if I could put together a little staff training program and you and I could go through it together and then I can work with the other techs or or, or show them some of what I learned. And you, first of all, I would run through it with them so that they can see what your plan, what your syllabus is, what you plan to cover, the things you want to communicate. And then the other thing is you teaching the other text. One, that is great for your education, right? See one, do one, teach one. But your ability to teach the other text is good for you, but it also demonstrates your expertise. And so those those are some of the tools that I use is, um, can you can you let me know when you have these cases? Can I talk to you about them? Can I ask you questions on the cases? I'm really interested. Would you be willing to supervise me while I do this? And maybe we could do it together. Could uh, I'd be interested in, in doing some staff training on this. Could I show you what I kind of have in mind or put together a bit of a, a little program? And then, and then you could sort of approve it and help me refine it. And then I'll and then I'll do it as a staff training. But all of those things are, are significant steps towards getting to, to do what you want. The other part, the grand overarching part on that is, is clinic culture. 
And I really think that this is a big differentiator going forward is that there are some clinics that are going to utilize and leverage their techs. And there's some clinics that are not going to. I saw, I saw, there's an old Viking quote I saw recently, something like, don't, don't expect a wolf to change his name or don't expect a wolf to become a lamb. And, and the idea being, if you're working in a practice and they don't let techs do things, there's probably nothing that you're going to say that's going mm-hmm. to change that because you're going against a lot of culture and a lot of history and we don't do this. It might be that if you really want to push and advance, and I, I, I'm not throwing this out willy nilly, but I think that the practices that do empower technicians and give technicians opportunities and have a pathway of development for technicians. I think that those practices are going to be more successful in recruiting technicians and they are going to get ahead. And those cultures are going to start to win out more and more in the future. And so that would be another thing that I would say is, you know, at some point, if you've tried these things and you're pushing, you're not getting to do things and other people are not getting to do things, it might be time to consider the practice culture and maybe look for a place where mm-hmm. technicians are going to have more opportunities. I, I think that you got to take care of yourself at some point. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the, the, the side part portion of that is that nearly every practice is looking for technicians. So yeah, if you're not happy where you are, there's another job yeah. Yeah. ready for you. A like lot of opportunity. A lot, lot of opportunity. opportunity. Exactly. For sure. For sure. Well, as we get kind of, well, actually well beyond our hour now, (laughs) uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you want to get out to our caffeinators? Yeah. So one thing that I have that's new that I'm actually really excited about, I just, uh, on June the 7th, my team is launching a new exam room communication course. And so it's it's an on-demand course. It's called Exam Room Communication Toolbox. And it's 17 little five-minute modules of me just doing exam room communication stuff. And it's, it's, my, it's the stuff that I lecture all over the world on. I broke it up into little nuggets so you could just tag it on to the end of a staff meeting. It's got a bunch of discussion questions. I think it's fun and it's funny. I tell a lot of stories. I really tried to make it something awesome that practices could use uh, in, in small chunks as they want. I think a lot about how to set technicians up in a way that they can do things and justify higher salaries and things like that. And I think being persuasive in the exam room, running wellness programs, things like that, making sure that a lot of our services run like well-oiled machines, how to get uh, clients to buy into what you want to do, that stuff. If technicians are are making those things happen, then technicians should be rewarded for the benefits they're bringing to the practice. And so uh, a lot of times people will say to me, well, how can I justify paying my technicians? And I'm like, set them up for success and then, and then, and then measure, track their metrics, see what they're doing and compensate them fairly for the work that they're putting in. And so anyway, this kind of fits in with that. But if you're, if you like staff training, if you like development, especially uh, exam room stuff, relationship building, trust building with clients, things like that, it's called exam room communication toolkit. Uh, it goes on sale on June the 7th. You can find it at drandywork.com and it's made for the entire team to have good, active, fun discussions about how we take care of patients and clients. Awesome. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, so sure. you said it's launching June 7th. June 7th. And Great. This episode will be uploading June 26th, I believe. Perfect. So should be up and running by the time by the time you're th- this is going. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, one question we ask every guest is, is there somebody you would recommend us putting in your seat for us to interview, either a topic or a person? You mentioned Melissa and Trekken earlier. I think she's a, a great 
idea, and I definitely want to get into contact with her. But is there anybody else that you would put in your seat for us to interview for a future episode? Oh man, so 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 it's it's option paralysis. <laughs> uh, and, and the truth is, you guys, yeah, it's, it's a bajillion. And the truth is, you guys have have talked to so many of of my of my tech friends. You know, um, so Kelsey Beth Carpenter obviously is uh, is a good friend of mine, and she's amazing. Melissa Trucken, I, I would recommend. I think she's doing incredible things for vet technicians. I, I would highly recommend her. You mentioned David Liss. I love that guy. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. Tasha McNerney is one mm-hmm. of my go to rock stars, one of the founders of Anesthesia Nerds. Yeah, the the list sort of goes on and on and on. But yeah, I, I think you guys have uh you got a lot of you got a lot of options there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Well and then we have one final question for you. It's the Vet Tech Cafe Would You Rather question. Are you ready for it? Sure. All right. Would you rather be able to control dogs with your mind and interpret their barks or be able to have the same powers with cats? Except they would be meows, not barks. <laughs> um, well, oh my gosh, that's a really good one. We could add in a third and say children, but oh yeah, I would, I would take that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> me too, oh, right boy. now. <laughs> yeah, can I, so okay, so so I can control them with my mind and interpret their meows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can tell you as uh, as a as a doctor. Uh, controlling cats, uh, if I could get cats to be calm uh, and, and make them have better experiences, I think that would be the greater service. The fact that we only see about 20% cats and 80% dogs uh, at most vet practices has a lot to do with cats not coming in and not being comfortable. And so I think from a good in the world standpoint, I think uh, being more effective with cats would do more good in the world. That said, I have a dog named Skipper and he is not a good dog. He's a bad dog. And when you first said that I was like, I can make him stop eating socks and counter surfing and doing all the horrible things the veterinarian's dog should not do. He's um he is incorrigible though. So um so yeah I think uh I think uh, publicly I will say cats because more good in the world, but privately I gotta I gotta do something about Skipper. I love He's it. Killing. I love it. Like we I have we have a complicated relationship. Like uh, we love each other real hard, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Well, Dr. Ork, thank you so much for uh, for your time, taking some time out to, to stop by the Vet Tech Cafe and talk to us about some of these ideas of technician utilization and, and from your perspective because it's something we talk about almost every episode with technicians, but it's it's unique to hear it from the other side and kind of how we can work towards that and kind of meet in the middle. So thank you very much for uh, for coming by yeah. and chatting with us. And, and hopefully, I don't know, you know if you have any conferences you'll be at in the near future, but I know Dave will at least be at IVEX. I think I probably will be too. If you're there, it'd be great to actually meet you in person. I'm, I'm at uh, AVMA too this, this uh, the end of the summer. Oh, man. I'm going to, I'll be at VMX in January. I, you know, you know how we talked, and so this is a good place to leave this, but, uh, but I'll, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll be gone. Remember at the beginning of the episode, we talked about, and, that, and that's when the second half of the show started. Uh, but remember, remember we, we, we talked about uh, at the very beginning, I said, figure out what you enjoy doing and do more of that and figure out what you don't and do less of that. I also want to add a caveat to that and say, there are phases in our lives. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize this as a young man. 
I always thought that the things I wanted would be the things that I would want forever. And what I have found is those things change over time. And what you want when you're younger changes when you get older. And so the global pandemic hit uh, back in 2020. And my kids were in third and sixth grade. And uh, school shut down. And so we took them out and then they did a year of virtual school. And that meant that they largely stayed with me. And so I would run my conference and do my things and um, they would come into the vet clinic, you know, and, and, and sit in the doctor's office sometimes if we, you know, if my, if my wife and I couldn't tag team and trade off because she works full time. And, and the truth be told, I got really close to my kids and we're pretty tight. And before that, I traveled a lot, guys. You know, I would go to all the meetings and I was on the road a whole lot. And now my, my daughters are 11 and 14 and they still think I'm really cool. I know that that's <laughs> not going on to that. <laughs> yeah, I know that that's not going to last forever. And so I'm in a place in my career where I'm really not traveling a lot and doing a lot of meetings, which is scary and hard for me because I like to go do these things. But I've really ratcheted that down. And my intention is when my 11-year-old probably hits 14, 15, um, she's not going to think I'm that cool anymore. And I'll probably be back and you'll see me in a lot more. <laughs> I enjoy going to it. I don't think – I just one of those thoughts you have later when you think – you go, at the end of my life, am I, what am I going to look back at and think on and think wish that I had done? I said, I do not see me regretting intentionally ratcheting down the amount of travel I did for a couple of years uh, until, until my kids go off. And, and so anyway, I uh, said, I I'll be at VMX in, in January. I'll be around a couple of different, uh, places, you know, on, on and off. But, uh, but it's just funny, but I just put that out to people because it really does fit with that. Think about what you love and what's making you happy Absolutely. And, 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 and try to do it. And the other thing is to realize that, you know, what you want now may not be what you want in the future and what you want mm -hmm. in the future, uh, can, can change. Uh, and just because you decide to do something, it doesn't mean you're going to do it forever. If you're thinking about doing emergency work, go do it, go do it for, it's a one year contract at most. Go do it and see Sometimes it. Sometimes it's not even a contract. Exactly yeah. right. A handshake. But but really, it's, um you know, go uh, so many people are paralyzed and they're like, I don't want to go do that. And say, you know what? Just go do it. Go do it. And if you don't like it, you'll come back. And you might love it for three years and then decide that you're done with it. And that's not failure. And I think a lot of people right. think it is. It's not mm -hmm. failure. That's life. That's having a good life. So anyway, Absolutely. guys, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for great questions. I I hope yeah. I was insightful or helpful. In Absolutely. Some way. Absolutely. Oh, of course yes, you were. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. And caffeinators, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey caffeinators, we would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. 
As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.